0: Uh, so, if you've been following along with us, um, this is our summer sermon series, and we're going through the Psalms. We're going through various Psalms all, all throughout this summer, and we've been calling it Honest Expressions. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke about Psalm uh, 32, and this was just, you know, how do we respond when we feel guilty? What do we do? And last week, Pastor Al talked about Psalm 37, and he talked about just, you know, giving a different perspective, having kind of God's perspective on different things. And you see in all of these psalms and across all the psalms, but the ones that we'll highlight, um, these are real people endowed by the Spirit of God, and they are expressing a whole variety of emotions. They are saying, hey, this is what I'm going through as a human being. And there's celebratory moments, and there's moments of real challenge, and this is everything. This is part of our human experience. And, you know, today we're going to look at Psalm 44. And Psalm 44 is this psalm where um, it starts off. I'll give you a little rundown quickly where we're going to go. It starts off very well. The psalmist um, is recounting, as Pastor Ken uh, spoke some of the verses this morning, the psalmist is recounting all the wonderful things God has done, the way God has just moved in this incredibly powerful way in the lives of his ancestors. And then you come to the middle passages, and it's like the middle maybe 12 verses, Things are going really bad. <laughs> Everything is turned on a dime, and now there's a huge challenge. Things are not going well at all. And then at the very end, it kind of ends abruptly, and he has this plea to, for God to help. And we're going to walk through this because I think there's a lot that we can learn in this psalm and others. Um, so before that, we've been having our passage to ponder. Again, if you wouldn't mind, if you could stand with me if you're able to, we're going to read this passage to ponder. We're going to read it so that our neighbors can hear us. And we'll read it thoughtfully. This is a prayer for us. So it begins. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The word of the Lord for us today. You may be seated. That That is such a beautiful prayer, right? Search me, God, and know my heart. That's a prayer for all of us today, right? Reveal some things within us, some things that maybe we need to change, some things that we can give to you, we can share the burdens in. And then finally, if there's any offensive way in us, help us to correct that, Lord. So Psalm 44, it begins, and we already read some of the passages, and uh, we're going to highlight it again. We know where we're going today with it. But there's a backstory to Psalm 44. There's a lot going on, right? And there's always so much. And, you know, we'll highlight and spend some time, but we could spend even... Uh, multiple days on it, actually. But Psalm 44, at the very beginning, it's, it's got this title, and most of your Bibles will say this title. will say, for the director of music of the sons of Korah. And this is like a mascal, right? It's a literary or a musical term, right? So this psalm, you see these sort of things, and often when we're reading our Bible, we see kind of these uh, subtitles, right? And sometimes we have things broken up into verses, but this was actually part of the original text. This is what the psalmist they're referring to themselves as the sons of Korah, right? That's what the psalmist is doing here. And the psalmist wants to highlight that. So like if, if you're like me, you read that and you say, "The sons of Korah, what who who is that? Like what who are they?" Right? A masquele, this is a literary music term, so this is actually something that was written to be sang. It was written to be sang. And that's also interesting to me because we, we sang some awesome songs today, and I loved it because this was about how God can overcome some of our circumstances, which we need to be reminded of that. This one they wrote to say, hey, Lord, it's just really hard right now. It's just very, very hard, and it was meant to be saying in the assembly. So the psalmists, they, they go on, and they write this song, and they, say, they call themselves the sons of Korah. So who is Korah? That's the question I asked when I was reading it. Who is Korah? And we find out there's, there's a lot to Korah's story, and it's a, it's a cautionary tale. In, in Numbers 3, God, he set apart the Levites. Um, this is all the 12 tribes of Israel. So Jacob had 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. He, Jacob's name changes to Israel. And out of all the tribes, he sets aside the Levites, the sons of Levi, to be the priestly tribe, to be the ones that are in full-time ordained service of him. This is God's plan. This is what God decrees. So the Levites, they're, carried out, they're called to carry all the holy duties of the Lord. They take care of the tabernacle. They clean the things, and they transport all the items inside of it. They carry the Ark of the Covenant. There's so much we could talk about there. But these are the Levite people. And Levi, he had a few sons, but he eventually had a grandson named Korah. And so Korah, he's actually the cousin of Moses and Aaron, right? So here's we are. Korah's a Levite. He's the cousin of Moses and Aaron. Very well-known biblical characters, if you're if you're new to the Bible. But although Korah is a Levite, he doesn't have the same type of priestly authority. As Moses and Aaron. He's not really that high in charge. He is tasked with doing certain things like taking care of the sanctuary, but he doesn't have that authority that Moses and Aaron do. Because it was everyone from Aaron's tribe, so Levi and to Aaron and his son. Aaron, he was called to be the chief priest, and everyone uh, in his line was. So we meet this person, Korah. And we get this little picture of him in Numbers 16. And you're going to find out that Korah is actually a little bit upset at his circumstances. So I'll read it for you. It's on the words are on the screen. It says, "One day, Korah, son of Izhar, a descendant of Koaz, son of Levi, conspired with Dathan and Abram. These are two friends of Korah's. They are the sons of Eliab and the son of Peleth from the tribe of Reuben." Verse two. It says, "They incited a rebellion against Moses, along with 250 other leaders of the community, all prominent members of the assembly." And some passage it says, along with 250 uh, men of good reputation, it says, they united against Moses and Aaron and said, "You have gone too far. The whole community of Israel has been set apart by the Lord, and He is with all of us. What right do you have to act as though you are greater than the rest of the Lord's people?" Korah is a little bit upset. Can we not say, Korah is upset? And, you know, on the surface, surface of it, I read it, and it's like, well, I don't know, maybe he has a point. I wasn't there. Maybe he's got a point. But as you read the rest of the passages, you start to realize God doesn't think he has a point. God has, in his sovereign ways, has chosen Aaron to be the chief priest. Has chosen Moses to lead all the people. He's chosen Levite people of, of the tribe to, to take on some full-time ordained duties to him. And he actually gives Korah a really special role, but not the role that Korah seems to want. And we come to find that Korah is not just questioning Moses and Aaron, but he's really questioning God himself. He really is. He's challenging God's authority. And let's be clear, when he comes here with 250 of his friends, he's not coming to say, you know, we have a couple suggestions on how you can make things better. This is a mutiny. This is a rebellion. He is coming to overthrow the leader that God has put in place for God's own purposes. He's so upset. I mean, Moses was upset. Moses didn't want to lead God's people either. (laughs) But Moses did it because he was called to do it. You understand? So this is Korah, and his story goes on. He he takes 250 of his co-conspirators, and he tries to overthrow Aaron and Moses. He wants his circumstances to change. But the story goes on. Then Moses spoke again to Korah. So this is a time where they're actually head-to-head. Moses spoke to him. Moses kind of is bang on right here. Moses spoke again to Korah. He says, now listen, you Levites. He's talking to Korah and all his people. He says, does it seem insignificant to you that the God of Israel has chosen you from among all the community of Israel to be near him? So you can serve in the Lord's tabernacle and stand before the people to minister to them. Moses says, God's chosen you guys in particular for a really big, important role. Isn't that enough? Isn't that enough that God has said, I want you to serve in this way? Isn't it enough that God saved you and I've given you some really important work to do? Isn't it enough? I don't think Korah thinks that. Verse 10 says, Korah, he has already given you a special ministry to you and your fellow Levites. Are you now demanding the priesthood as well? Do you even want that now? It says, the Lord is the one you and your followers are really revolting against. For who is Aaron that you are complaining about him? I love Moses. like, Moses says, who's my brother, Aaron? Who, who am I? We're, we're just people who the Lord has equipped to serve. We're not more special than you, but this is the role we have. This is the role you have. We can do it for the beauty of God's kingdom. And he really challenges Korah here in the right way. Moses knows exactly what's up. So this happens, and they actually meet for a challenge the next day. So Moses says this thing, which is interesting. He says, um, "He says, okay, let's meet one more day. Let's battle each other, and we're going to find out who really the God God has favored, who God has said is really for Him, and who's not for Him, whom God has chosen to lead His people, and whom He hasn't." So Moses says this thing, which I wouldn't have thought to say, but he does say it. Moses says, "Hey, if we meet tomorrow, and we're you're ready to overthrow me, but let's say." you die a natural death or I die a natural death, we'll know that actually God wanted you guys to be in charge. We'll say he wanted the Levites to be in that priestly role if it's just something natural happens to them. But he says, but if something supernatural happens, if something supernatural happens, like for instance, this is what he says. He says, if the ground opens up underneath you, Korah, and your friends and your co-conspirators... And it swallows you up whole. Everyone in the community will know that God has chosen us for the task. Is that what you would have said? (laughs) I would have said that. (laughs) But Moses is Moses for a reason. We're talking about him thousands of years later for that reason. So they meet. And what happens? The earth opens up, swallows them whole... Korah and all his co-conspirators, and all their possessions, it says. It's like they don't exist anymore and never have. They're consumed fully. The ground closes up again over on top of them, and they're gone without a trace. No memory of them. The other co-conspirators, they're consumed by fire. Is that what you expected to hear this morning on Sunday? (laughs) This is Korah's story. This is his life. He's mentioned in other parts of the Bible in Jude 1.11, and he's mentioned as this cautionary tale of what can happen if people follow false leaders and prophets that are not appointed by God. He says, don't follow them. You'll lead yourself to destruction. But we find out that God's grace actually extends to Korah's sons. And they respond wholeheartedly. So let's just see here. We read it. It says, And Eliab was the father of Nemuel, Dathan, and Abram, which is, as they say here, it says in Numbers uh, 26, it says, that This Dathan and Abram are the same community leaders who conspired with Korah against Moses and Aaron, rebelling against the Lord. And then it recounts what happens to them. But the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them with Korah, and fire devoured 250 of their followers. This served as a warning to the entire nation of Israel. I just said that. But here's the most important verse for us now. However, the sons of Korah did not die that day. That's Korah. Korah's is there. And this is, this is Korah's sons, the author of Psalm 44. They call themselves Korah's sons. In, in the Bible, it could mean grandsons or descendants. It doesn't have to necessarily mean the first in line. It could be second or third in generation. But they are Korah's sons. And God shows that his Grace rested on Korah's sons because they didn't perish that day. Their father did some horrendous things, revolted against God, but God said, no, they were too young, maybe too innocent, or just not willing to follow follow their father to destruction. Korah's sons are faithful. They write beautiful psalms. They write um, Psalm 42, I believe it says, you know, as the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for thee. That's from Korah's sons. They're the ones who write the, the really popular verse that says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Right? They write these things. So Korah's sons say, hey, my lineage, they did some wicked things, really? But I'm faithful to you, God. I'm faithful. They choose to identify themselves that way. So this is their psalm, one of their psalms. There's 11 psalms that's attributed to the sons of Korah. So they, are, they have this backstory. They have this important thing and that they've gone through. But now we find themselves in a time where things are not going well for them. So the question is, how do we respond when everything is going wrong? What chorus sons do, the psalmists, what they do, they start off by doing something very good. They remind themselves of what God has done before, right? If you're here right now, and you're dealing with difficulty and circumstance, and you're dealing with all kinds of things, maybe in your family history that have affected you, you can remind yourself right now of some good things that God has done. We're going to go through these verses quickly. In verse 1 in Psalm 44, it says, We have heard it with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days and days long ago. With your hand you drove out the nations and planted our ancestors. You crushed the peoples and made our ancestors flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. I put no trust in my bow, Psalmist says, my sword does not bring me victory, but you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God, we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. The psalmist here, he's in a really rough situation, but he says, God, you've been good to us in the past. What has God done for your people? You know, in, in that time when these scriptures are being written, these ancient, in the ancient world, they more identified with a community group than they did as individuals. It's hard for us because to us it's, it's, you know, me, 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 I'm in my head. It's all I kind of know is myself. But they really identify with their whole community. So the psalmist here is saying, hey, God, you have been faithful. We're surrounded by enemies, and much like Israel is today, surrounded by enemies. And you have protected us. You have won a victory. Not because we were so strong and so mighty. As a matter of fact, we were the smallest nation around. But yet you protected us and you gave us victory. Right? Have you seen God's hand of protection and provision in the past? Right? The psalmist has. He's seen the Lord move in this way. And maybe, as the psalmist is writing this, he's actually recounting the history of what happened to his father. Right? He recognizes that he could have been devoured the way his father was. But God graciously spared them. So even in this difficult spot, he has this humble posture, uh, remembering what God has done for them. So I ask you this question as we think of not just our individual lives, but our our collective lives. As Canadians, what has God done for our nation? What has he done in the past? We're a land rich in resources. Uh, We've had lots of prosperity. We've had a good measure of peace for many, many years. Uh, Canada has been this country where um, refugees have seek to go and come here. They've left their homeland, which is a hard thing to do in, in spite of somewhere that's safe. That's what God has blessed us with. Other people have just been able to immigrate themselves over there, including myself. We've been able to immigrate for the, this beautiful reason that there's just a, a beautiful country here in Canada, and God's been faithful to the nation of Canada. So we recognize that, and it's good to switch our lens from just a, private, from a personal viewpoint but to a, a community viewpoint as well. So when we're reminded that God is faithful in the past, it actually just helps us to be grateful and hopeful that he can do the same thing again. But that's the beginning of Psalm 44. Now we enter the rough part. Trouble strikes, right? Trouble strikes. We're going to talk about what your troubles could be. So when trouble strikes, there's something that I think is healthy for us to do. I think it is actually healthy for us to say, this is not how life was supposed to go. We all have hopes and we all have dreams. We all have well wishes for our children, for ourselves. And sometimes life does not go according to plan. Has that been you before? Has that been you? Things that you'd hoped for have not come to fruition or it's been drastically altered. This is the psalmist. In verse 9 he says, But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. These are the words of someone who loves God. He says, I live in disgrace all day long, and my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me because of the enemy who is bent on revenge. This is a real honest expression. right? When we face these troubles in our lives, it can make us feel like we've been abandoned by God. That might be you today. That might be you another day before It can feel like we're left alone, unprotected to be devoured. So what is your trouble right now, right? Has life not gone the way you planned? Is there divorce? Has there been infidelity, bankruptcy, addiction, the death of a loved one, right? Serious health challenges, infertility, job loss, like... That, like struggles with your kids the list goes on and on and on I know there are people here facing one or more of these things today what do you do when these, this is your experience what do you do when you want to be encouraged by God you want to continue to believe that he's good but these things happen and you're faced with it this is what the psalmist is faced with the psalmist asks an honest question which I think is helpful for us the psalmist says, why me? There's a way that we can express our hurt and pain, and there's a way to do it healthily, and there's a way that's not so healthy. We're going to talk about it in just a minute. But the psalmist asks this honest question, why me, when all these disruptors happen? He says this, all this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you. We had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path. The psalmist says, Lord, I've been good to you. Like, I've been following you my days. Like, you can actually, like David said, you can search my heart, Lord, and, you know, I might not be blameless, but I've been following you, doing the best that I can, and yet I'm going through this. This doesn't seem right or fair. Have you ever felt that? Right? The psalmist is wondering, why do the faithful suffer? Right? I haven't turned away from you, Lord, so why me? Okay, there's, there's lots of reasons why the faithful might suffer, and this is an exhaustive lift, but that's a, an, it's not an exhaustive list, but this is what, here's a couple reasons why, or a few, why maybe we can still be firmly in God's love and yet going through some trials. Okay, one of the reasons for afflictions. One of the reasons it can, it can occur for God's own divine purposes. Uh, in Isaiah, there's the foretelling of the suffering Messiah. It says he's going to suffer, but this is all God's plan. There's also Job, where Satan is actually allowed to, up to a certain point, inflict Job with a whole host of challenges. And the most uncomfortable part of those verses, of those chapters, the suffering Messiah and Job, is that this was all part of God's plan. He was actually allowing this to happen for his own divine purposes. That can make you uncomfortable. There's some things that God might permit into our lives, and he has a greater plan for us. Another reason, James and Peter say that the reason why the faithful can suffer is it can actually purify us and help us to develop. James and Peter, they both say don't be surprised when you're going through these tests and these fiery trials. He says these painful moments can happen. James says that it actually increases your perseverance, and Peter says it's going to make us more like Jesus. We'll share in his sufferings and we'll share in his glory. Right. So that's another reason. Thirdly, another reason that Jesus himself gives us, he says this is just a part of the world we live in today. We live in this imperfect world that's not heaven on earth, and we're going to go through troubles. All right? Jesus says, you know, don't worry about it, because he says, I'm over and above the world. He says, be encouraged. I've overcome the world. He says, it won't always be like this. But you could be saying to me, but pastor, it is like this right now. Right? This is my experience now. This is what's going on. And you can wonder, we can be tempted to wonder if God is still good or, or maybe he's not as good as we thought he was. We're going to look at how we can express that in the right, helpful way. We come to find, through the psalmist, in these verses that he's just going to end with here, laments and cries for help, they're all part of an authentic expression of the Christian faith. Do you think that? Do you think today... Uh, You can only have a facade that everything is always all right. Or do you think that you can actually be really genuine when things are not, and you can express that to God? The psalmist shows that you can do that in the right way. We're going to look at maybe an unhealthy way to do it and the right way to do it. It ends this way, Psalm 44. It says, if we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it? since he knows the secrets of the heart. God, you know, actually, who we are on the inside. He says, yet, for your sake, he's saying, God, because of you, actually, he says to God, we face death all day long. Because of you, we're like sheep to be slaughtered. He says, awake, Lord, why are you sleeping? Like, wake yourself, rouse yourself, don't reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? Does it feel like that? He says, we're brought down to the dust and our bodies cling to the ground, face down in the ground. And he says this, rise up and help us, rescue us because of your unfailing love. That's how it ends. That's how the psalm ends. I think this psalm, and we're going to hear just one other insight from Paul here, I think this psalm says a lot on how we should respond to ourselves. Um, we're going to go through some hardships we're going to go through trials, but there's a way to do it that I think is complaining, and there's a way to do it that I think is lamenting. I, I, I'll say this story real quick. I was reading this article about this, this couple, and they it's in B.C., and they were, they were quite upset at something that was happening in their circumstances. They were upset. They, was, they live at a certain place, and beside them is a park, and at the park they're playing pickleball, which is like the fastest-growing sport in the world. We play pickleball here. Right? They're playing this. And this couple was very upset at the noise complaints, right? It's understandable. Those things can happen. But the, the husband says, he said he's going to begin a hunger strike because of the pickleball noise, which is allowed to go up until 8 p.m., which is late for some people. Right? That's Pastor Day's bedtime. <laughs> it's, it's also my kid's bedtime. That's not, there's no, that's just how it is. They both go to sleep around at the same time. But, so I do know I do know that it is a little bit late. I do know this is a little bit late. But I just, when I read it, I was a little bit uneasy with the person's, with the husband's response. They say he's going to go on a hunger strike. Like, hunger strikes were things that people did because there was huge amounts of injustice, systematic injustice to protest unjust wars. It was this thing where he said, this is totally wrong. I don't think it's a thing to say when our circumstances are not what they'd like. Do you understand? Do you see? I just don't think that was the right response. I'm not even taking away from that. This could be very annoying, could be disturbing, but it's not. So we look at it and we find out what's a lament versus a complaint. A lament expresses sorrow or grief to God. It's a prayer of mourning or sadness. Mourning what was a loss, like a loved one, a relationship, a dream, or a hope. We prayed for people who are in mourning right now. Sadness at the challenges, maybe your children are facing. Complaints, however, they express dissatisfaction or resentment. And uh, there's this pastor, Rob Ron Thompson from Twin Cities Church. He had a great quote, which I think is good for us. He says, This he says, Complainers believe that if they make enough noise, that someone, it might be there on the screen here, I'll just wait for it for one second complainers believe that if they make enough noise that someone, God or someone else in power, will notice them and fix their circumstances that create such an inconvenience. He says, lamenters, however, believe that if they let God know their deep sadness or grief, that someone, God or someone who cares, will notice them and offer to help them to carry their burden. Do you see the difference there? Right? As a lamenter, you're saying, I need help with this. I can't do this on my own. Right, as a complainer, it's like, I, I, I'm going to make I be as loud as possible until someone changes my circumstances. Lamenters say, Lord, I need you in this. I need you in this to help me to deal with this. Right? Paul was a lamenter. Paul talked about his thorns in the flesh. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to get rid of these, this thorn in my flesh, which we don't know what it was. Um, this, the psalmist here, they're lamenters. They're not complainers. They're saying, Lord, this is what you've allowed to happen to your people. Jesus was a lamenter. Jesus said in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. He's saying this to his friends, his disciple friends. Stay here and keep watch, he asked them to do. They fall asleep, they don't. He says, going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. He laments here to the God, the Father. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not I will, but what you will friends i think when we're going through these things we have to become more lamenters than we are complainers i'm not asking you to look at your circumstances and to say that to trivialize them because they're very they're very challenging but we have to look in the right perspective to say god how are you going to help me in this how are you going to carry this burden for me ask a dear friend to help you to carry this burden we have to do that but psalm 44 it, it ends so abruptly it, it says You know, rise up and help us, rescue us because of your unfailing love. Right? And you wish it would have said, and God heard my prayer, and he changed my circumstances, and everything was better. (laughs) Don't you wish that's what the psalm said? I do. It was hurting me. I kept reading it as if the words are going to change and hoping that there's going to be more to it. That's how it ends, this cry for help saying, God, you have unfailing love. Your hesed, your unfailing love, I'm calling to you for that. But we get this insight, which I love, from Romans 8. Paul, he's talking about all these beautiful things, the life in the spirit and how you struggle with it and the good things God has done. And he comes to the end of Romans 8. And you know this verse, you've heard it. In verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword. He said all these things. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then what does he do? In verse 36, he quotes Korah's son's psalm. He quotes Psalm 44, the one that we've been talking about. He quotes it. He says, as it is written in Psalm 44, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul's saying this beautiful thing, like who can separate us from the love of God? And then he quotes this really hard psalm for us today. He quotes it. He asks a rhetorical question. He answers it, though. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Paul concludes this powerful, powerful written epistle in Romans to say, hey, this is real. Our life is real. People go through these struggles. But in all of these circumstances, nothing can separate you from the love of God. We're going to end with this. Paul, he reminds us that hardships in this life and God's unfailing love are both true. They're both true, and they can both coexist at the same time. Is that hard for you to hear today? Can you be going through a really difficult time in this moment and know that God still does love you? It's the truth, Paul says. Paul says everything that we're going through, you're feeling like how the sons of Korah are going through, how they're feeling. You're feeling that in this moment, but God still loves you. And all of your circumstances, no matter how hard they are, they cannot separate you from God's love. Paul says this. He says, no hardship. Yeah, they can't separate. He also says this. One day, we'll actually overcome. Paul says we're more than conquerors. So one day, we actually will overcome these circumstances and conquer all these hardships through Jesus' love for us. Paul, when he references the sons of Korah, as if to say also that your past, your lineage, your story, all these things that might actually contribute to some of the challenges you're facing today, that doesn't dictate your future. You can be like the sons of Korah. You can be... You don't have to follow in the ways that maybe people have set an example for you. You can actually serve God today no matter what you're going through. So, this is it. This is it. I don't know where you are in this moment, but I want you to be reminded, as Paul reminds us, that you are loved. And you can still hurt. And you can lament to God. You can bring it to God in the right way. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to go. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we come to you today as people in need, Lord. We come to you today as people who have the entire ex- human experience, Lord. We have good, we have these beautiful, wonderful, joyous moments that just fill us and encourage us, dear God. And we have some really challenging moments, too, dear God, that can make it tough. Lord, we're reminded today that you are over and above all things, Jesus. You are in control of everything. Remind today, dear God, that some things you permit into our life, some of them can be for our good. Encourage the person right now that might be struggling with that, dear God. Some of them can work to make us become more like you. You suffered, dear Lord, for us. And Paul and Peter said, We can share in your sufferings and in your glory. Lord, remind us today that we're also just living in this broken world and there are things that happen like floods and these horrible things, these wildfires that people are going through all across our nation, dear God, that this just happens, dear God. And Lord, we want to trust you like in that moment, dear God, that you will change our circumstances. We want to be like the sons of Korah. We ask for a change in circumstances, dear God, for the one who needs a relational change, who needs love, the one who needs to see their children change, dear God. We pray powerfully, Lord, rise up, help your unfailing love to wash over us and move in a powerful way, dear God. We also want to remind ourselves, dear God, that as we go through these things, famines and nakedness and challenge, and we lose loved ones, we lose our own life, dear God. We want to remind ourselves that we can't be separated from your love. We want to remind ourselves the way Paul did, who went through a lot of hardships to say, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. Dear God, encourage us today. Let us rely on you, Lord. Help us to be a powerful, strong people, a people who... Don't say that we can do it on our own, but say we need you and we need others around us, Lord. Dear God, remind us of someone right now who needs help. Someone who we can lift up to share a burden. Just like carrying something, dear God, when there's two or three people carrying it, it becomes lighter for each person instead of that one person carrying it. Help us, dear God, to do that. So, Lord, I pray for my friends today that they'll be reminded and encouraged of who you are, your goodness and your mercy in their life, and they'll trust you, dear God, for what is to come. We give you thanks for, for this psalm and what it teaches and how we can express to you the best way. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.